All right. Welcome into Surviving Paradise, the podcast that takes a sometimes serious, oftentimes humorous look at the claim of Jehovah's Witnesses that they are living in a modern day spiritual paradise. <laughs> I'm your host, Stacy Bauman, former elder, ministerial servant, and more importantly, a kid raised in Jehovah's Witnesses since the early 1970s and throughout the 80s as a teenager. Warning up front, as I do in every episode, all humor, sarcasm, and emotion, which can run the gamut, are mine, all mine. So never meant to offend anyone or to cause anyone to get upset, but we do try to have some fun each and every week, even as we tackle some of the most gut-wrenching, serious subjects that you could possibly think of. And if you are a Jehovah's Witness or you have been one, you know what I mean. So this week, I have to tell you, I am really excited, and I can't completely put my finger on why. I'm going to go with, <laughs> this makes no sense, but it's the truth. I'm going to probably go into some stuff that's going to blow some people's minds this week. I'm going to go a completely different direction. And if you are a PME, which stands for, and I've only learned this since I left over 12, 13 years ago, physically and mentally in, or you're an honest to goodness Jehovah's Witness who has stumbled onto this podcast and are bravely continuing to listen, knowing that this is a room or a quasi room filled with mentally diseased apostates. <laughs> you are brave. I have nothing but respect for you as someone who spent by far and away the greater years of my life as a Jehovah's Witness. So I mentioned I'm excited, and I really am. This is a subject I've always wanted to tackle because it's very personal to me, and I think you'll see why as I ramble on here, but I really see this almost as a public service announcement for those PMEs or those Jehovah's Witnesses. And I think that those that have left and listened in on this podcast, uh, which by the way, you're all greatly, greatly appreciated. It's been wonderful seeing this and getting to know many of you. I, I think that you folks will find this kind of interesting. And I'm going to be very surprised if I don't get a lot of emails, comments, et cetera, in reference to the fact that you've never heard of this and that you're quite shocked by it. So buckle up. Here we go. I want to share a subject that I think is very, very important, probably less so for those of us that have decided to exit stage left, but I think is absolutely critical. I think could be a life changer, not kidding, for a Jehovah's Witness or a PME that may find themselves on this episode. I want to strongly encourage each and every person that hears this to never, ever, did I mention ever, confess your sins to Jehovah's Witness elders. And I'm going to show you a loophole that makes it all okay. That means you will have no guilt. And it's in print. So here we go. As I mentioned, buckle up. You'll often hear me say on this podcast that Jehovah's Witnesses don't need apostate literature. And it's really been something this week watching some of the activists that have covered the district convention and the most recent, uh, what is it, Jehovah's Witness broadcast, which is all new to this guy since I left many years ago. 
I, it still blows my mind that they're televangelists now. They used to rail against that in public talk outlines. I used to be the guy giving them. But on recent broadcasting of the district convention, they're really, really, really going after this stuff that apostates, literature, websites, apostate friends, make sure you shun them. And I'm here to tell you that you don't need any of the stuff that they're so terrified of. You don't need apostate literature. You don't need websites. You don't need friends. All that you truly need to do is read your own literature. And this subject of never confessing to the elders is, in my opinion, because it is personal, the best example of this, the best example. And I'm going to share a doozy with you on this this week, at least by my estimations, something that is in the literature of Jehovah's Witnesses in print going back many years that I'm confident 99.9% of Jehovah's Witnesses do not know about. How do I know that? How do I make a bold statement like that? Because once I learned of it, it changed my life. And let me tell you something, I didn't know about it. <laughs> I did not know. And I have since learned that many, 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 many people didn't know. It'll become obvious here in a minute. I would go on to share this little tidbit that we're going to unpack this week with fellow elders that didn't know of it. And for several years after I left Jehovah's Witnesses, I had Jehovah's Witnesses, people that I knew, friends, acquaintances, people from past congregations, uh, people who knew me as a public speaker from other congregations. I literally had them emailing and contacting me asking for the reference that I'm about to share with you because they found themselves in a bind. They'd made a mistake, they'd sinned, and now it was time to go meet with the three guys in the B school, and they didn't want to do it. So they remembered a conversation, apparently, that I'd had with them in the past or were part of a judicial committee with me in the past or something of this nature. And they reached out to me asking for this reference once again. And to me, this one is life-changing. If more Jehovah's Witnesses knew about this reference, I venture a guess to say that everything they look at in Jehovah's Witnesses could change or would change. Okay, God, my intros are long. Let's jump in. So let's set the stage. First and foremost, when it comes to dealing with sin and confessing your sins to the elders, I want to set the stage appropriately. Two things to consider. Number one, Jehovah's Witnesses are taught they cannot be forgiven for their sins unless they go to the elders with every gory, nasty detail as to whatever it is that they were part of. They will take it so far as to say that Jehovah removes his Holy Spirit until you have confessed your sins to the elders. In other words, if you're hiding something, you've done something bad, and it's hidden, but you've never gone into the B-School with three guys and unloaded it, Jehovah hasn't been your friend the entire time. He's withheld your, his friendship. He's withheld his Holy Spirit. I personally was literally told that at one point in my life. So number one, you cannot be forgiven for your sins unless you go to the elders and you have a judicial meeting or in the very least, a meeting with one or two elders. 
let me prove this to you. And once again, as I try to really stay away from, I don't want to read every reference. There are so many or every scripture. There are so many. So I'm just going to give you a couple of bullet points. But as always, I encourage you to please go do this work yourself. Do the research. It will change the way you look at Jehovah's Witnesses. The first reference to this thought that you can't be forgiven for sins unless you go to the elders, three guys in the B-School, often three guys with all kinds of personal problems that only the other elders know. Reference number one, Watchtower of 97, August 15th, pages 26 through 30, quote, But if you're not an elder and you come to know about serious wrongdoing on the part of another Christian, guidelines are found in the law that Jehovah gave to the nation of Israel. Though not under the Mosaic law, Christians today can be guided by the principles behind it. So if you learn about the serious wrongdoing of a fellow Christian, what should you do? So then, why report what is bad? Because it works what is good. Really, to report wrongdoing is an act of Christian principled love shown toward God, toward the congregation, and toward the wrongdoer, end quote. So a couple of things here just based on that quote. As you can see, you've got to go to the elders if you've committed a sin. It's in print. And it's a subject for a completely separate episode and probably a damn good one. But the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses love to insert the disclaimer, well, listen, everybody, just a reminder, we're not under the Mosaic Law, but isn't it great? <laughs> or this doesn't apply, but hey, we're going to apply it anyway. Never mind that this line of thinking shows gross disrespect to the guy they alleged is their king, Jesus Christ. They're infatuated with continuing to apply it, the Mosaic Law. Jesus says it's obsolete, it's gone. I came to fulfill the law. The governing body says, yeah, Jesus, why don't you sit down and be quiet over there? Just a reminder, the Mosaic Law is pretty good, so we want to apply it here as well. It's principled. <laughs> Second, you will note from that reference that Jehovah's Witnesses go out of their way to build a culture of tattling. You are guilted, encouraged, actually demanded to go to the elders, if you know somebody else did something wrong or pulled a naughty, you have to go talk to the elders. And we want to remind you that it's an act of love. It's loving towards God, the congregation, and the person who did it. Never mind, there's a very, very good chance they're going to be disfellowshipped, shunned by everyone that they love, may never come back, may lead to tragedy, as we've covered in past podcast episodes. Never mind that. It really is loving. The message is clear. Second reference, the Watchtower of April 15th, 2008, pages 10 through 11, which states it in black and white, that Jehovah's Witnesses cannot be forgiven for sins unless they go to the elders. It says, quote, what if someone commits a serious sin? He needs to humble himself and confess the sin to the elders. An individual might even be disfellowshipped, golly. To be accepted back into the congregation, he must humbly repent and turn around. 
In these and similar situations, the words of Proverbs 29.23 are comforting. The very haughtiness of earthly man will humble him, but he that is humble in spirit will take hold of glory and go confess to the elders. No, I added that in quote. <laughs> the implication is there. It's in black and white. You have to go confess to the elders. It's a demand and it's culturally built in, baked in to everything Jehovah's Witnesses do. And if you're a witness today, or you're one of many listeners to this podcast that have likely left, you know exactly what I speak of. And for those of us that were raised among Jehovah's Witnesses, you're taught very early in life that you need to go tell them everything you did. And if you know if somebody else did something bad or something naughty, you need to go confess your sins to the elders. Jehovah's Witnesses as a culture, notice the word cult, <laughs> as a culture are greatly, greatly, and at every turn encouraged to tattle one another. And you wouldn't believe the, the degree that this goes to. I mean, I've seen people spying on other people, particularly when it came to marriages or broken relationships. People, two people getting in a car, one of them could be an elder, another one just somebody involved, an innocent mate, going and sitting in the dark out front of someone's house and spying on their house to catch them with another person, not their mate. You'll see people trapping people into confessing their sins. And, and people fall for this. So point number one is Jehovah's Witnesses are taught, and I mean from a young age, in order to be forgiven after you've committed a sin, you have to go to three guys. You have to confess your sins to the elders. And when I say three guys, it's because it usually leads to a judicial meeting in most cases. There are those play cases where it's one or two guys or a quiet conversation, but it's, eh, it's pretty rare. It's pretty rare. So as I continue to set the stage for what I'm going to share as to why you should never do this, point number two. Jehovah's Witnesses are programmed, pre-programmed, weekly, daily, nightly, in every page of their books and literature, with debilitating guilt. Guilt, fear, shame. They're the cocktail of the governing body. And I mean to tell you, guilt is baked into your mindset and your emotions very young as a Jehovah's Witness. It's why I am so passionate, pissed off, and driven to save children from this horrific religion. Because from a very young age, you are taught to feel guilty. And I say that not because I don't like Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm no longer one, or I'm mad at them, and I got an axe to grind, as you'll see people posting on YouTube. I tell you that because I was one of them. I was a kid. I was a ministerial servant. I was an elder. And the guilt, quite honestly, in a lot of ways, nearly killed me. It certainly killed my personality, my ambition, and other things. I could go on for hours about guilt, which is a subject for another day. But it is an everyday tool of the governing body. And it starts with things like undeserved kindness. Telling people that any kindness they get is undeserved. I mean, it's it's so absurd you can't wrap your hand around your head around it. 
And the guilt is everywhere. Guilty for not doing enough. Guilty for your feelings. Guilty for your doubts. Guilty for not wanting to do any of it. Guilty about who or what you love. Guilty for eating a birthday cupcake. Guilty for standing for the flag salute. Guilty for hanging out with people at our Jehovah's Witnesses. Guilt, 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 guilt. It's soul crushing. And Jehovah's Witnesses are taught that if they do wrong and they don't run to the elders, that they are essentially hiding secret sin. It's like pouring gasoline on the guilt fire. And it burns in people and it causes them to go confess their sin. When we were little kids, many of you will probably remember this, the, the good old Bible stories book, which is nothing but a rated R horror show <laughs> with its illustrations. Do you remember the story of Achan? You remember they raided the Canaanite city and they were told to not leave anything or take anything to burn everything, a whole other subject, women, children, livestock, babies, who cares? Jehovah said, you don't get to keep anything. Achan and his family took some gold and some robes and they hid them in the ground. You remember the illustration, if you're old enough, in their tent under a rug. And you remember that it's one of the most early examples for me personally, where I remember guilt <laughs> teaching you how to be guilty. Of course, Achan ends up dead for that one. He ends up dead. Jehovah, you know, ah, there wasn't an elder to go talk to then, but he lied and hid some things. So dead meat, Achan and family, by the way, including innocent kids in the family who probably had nothing to do with it. <laughs> but Achan, the king of guilt, for this guy as a kid growing up in the 70s with the Bible stories book. And Jehovah's Witnesses learn that at every meeting, at every publication, at every convention, that, that if they commit a sin and if they do something wrong, they should be overcome with guilt, just like King David was. Remember with Bathsheba having her husband killed because he just couldn't resist her? He didn't have enough women in his life. He needed another one. But you remember all the Psalms and all the flowery things surrounding David, who's a, God, I want to do 10 episodes on David at some point. <laughs> what a character. But that guilt is taught from the publications, pages of the Bible, everywhere. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses, in, in setting those two points, as we set the stage for what I'm going to share as to why you should never confess to the elders, they're going to come back, and I am already predicting the comments on YouTube or Twitter or wherever they may get a hold of this episode, they often use James 5, 16 and 17 or Proverbs 28, 3 to convince publishers that they need to confess to the elders. And I'm not going to read those scriptures. You, they're probably fairly familiar to anyone listening to this podcast. It's easy to see how James 5 isn't even remotely about spiritual sin. It's about physical ailment for to go to the older men and have them pray over you. It has nothing to do with this. It's not an elder arrangement, folks. In Proverbs 28, and, and really every other reference that you will find in the Bible, is referring to a one-on-one -on -one friendship, a one-on-one -on -one confession, a one-on-one -on -one help session, hug out. Let's hug it out between two people, two Christians or pre-Christians. There's literally nothing. You will not find it as we've covered on the disfellowshipping episodes, anything that resembles an elder arrangement. 
So there's the stage for a Jehovah's Witness. One, you do something naughty, you have to go to the elders to be forgiven, or you're endangering the congregation, you are endangering yourself, and Jehovah's withdrawn his Holy Spirit until further notice, and that notice is meeting with three dudes in the B-School. The second one is, if you decide not to do that, or you're resistant, the guilt is going to kill you. <laughs> and I can speak to that because that's exactly what happened to me. So, are you ready? I guess I've said it a couple times, but buckle up. I want you to take everything you know about confessing to the congregation elders to coming forward with sin or secret sin, and I want you to throw it all out. Because I am here to share with you that not only does it not follow Jesus' example on confessing sins, nope, but that the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses has put a loophole, a gigantic loophole that absolutely condemns this entire teaching, condemns them personally, and they put it in their own literature. And it makes all of this, and I mean all of it, in reference to going to the elders, completely unnecessary. You do not, by way of the Bible, have to go to the elders. And second, if, if that wasn't enough, these ding-dongs put it in print, almost as if to admit, consciously or subconsciously, that they know there's no reason for this to go to the elders, even with serious sin. So here we are. Pause for dramatic effect. If you're taking notes, whether they're physical notes or mental notes, here we go. I present to you, in my opinion, one of the single most important references in the entire catalog of Jehovah's Witness literature. The October 1972 Kingdom Ministry question box. Repetition for emphasis. <laughs> I'd want you all to know that I'm gesturing right now, too. I really want to pass. The October 1972 Kingdom Ministry question box. It reads the following. What is meant by some years ago on page 170, paragraph 2, in the organization book? This is in reference to an elder or a ministerial servant having committed serious sin that has not been confessed ever. An elder or a ministerial servant is sitting on serious sin or sins of the past, have never come forward about it, and now when someone asks should they be removed because guilt has overcome them or someone's found out, this reference. Backing up, what is meant by some years ago on page 170, paragraph 2 in the organization book? Quote, this indicates more than a year or two 
It may be noted that it did not say many years ago, so it is not an exact number of years, but more like two or three years. It was not intended to have a brother go back into the distant past to bring up wrongs of which he repented years ago and that have evidently been forgiven by Jehovah and are not being practiced now. In many cases, the wrongs occurred prior to the time when the watchtower drew attention to what the scriptures say on such conduct. If a brother has been serving faithfully for some years and has seen evidence of Jehovah's blessings upon him, why should he now step down from office? If he has the right viewpoint now on conduct and will give good counsel, he should be able to continue to serve. If the local body of elders see that he has the respect of the congregation and has shown the proper qualifications over the last two or three years, he may remain in his position of service. Must wrongdoing be brought to public attention after many years? The book, page 168, under public reproof, quotes Timoth 1 Timothy 5.20 and mentions reproof of those who confess to committing more than one offense. But it really has to do with recent events. The interlinear refers to those sinning something going on at the time. So if repentance occurred some years ago, three years ago or more, and sinning ceased, and he is respected by the congregation, it is not necessary now to publicly reprove one who committed more than one offense some years ago. End quote. The October 1972 Kingdom Ministry question box. You may sense I'm feeling a little dramatic. You may also be sitting there thinking, what? What did I just hear you read? Let me tell you, you're not alone. You might even be thinking if you're still associated with Jehovah's Witnesses, Come on, Stacy. That's old light. That's old news. That's from like 50 years ago. That doesn't apply now. Oh, I'm going to get to that. But more importantly, you might be thinking, what the hell? <laughs> Stacy, how do you know about this obscure reference in a 1972 kingdom ministry when you were five years old, when it hit the congregations. Allow me to share. What follows is really something that I made a promise when I started this podcast, which is I'm going to be raw. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be transparent. And I'm going to tell the truth. And that even comes to me and my own experiences as a Jehovah's Witness. I would have loved if someone had done this for me 20 years ago. So I'm hoping that if there's one person out there listening to this, that this story may help you. So how do I know about this October 1972 question box? My own experience. 
I was a young ministerial servant. It was either 1990 or actually, I absolutely know it was in late 1991, late 1991. I was a young ministerial servant. For anyone that knows me and anyone that may stumble on this and knows me personally knows, uh, I'm an emotional guy. I care about people. I'm intense, I've been told. And I am your classic, as an emotional person, I'm your classic guilt sponge. As a young ministerial servant, I got married one day after my 20th birthday, as I've told on this podcast in the past, to a young sister who I went on to have a wonderful son with. That's my world. But at the time we were kids and he wasn't here yet. I was appointed as a ministerial servant and I was a busy one. I, I look back now and realize I just wasn't a typical one. I mean, I was giving public talks and traveling to other congregations as a ministerial servant at about, I believe I was 23 years old, if I'm doing the math right, to other congregations. That's not common, although it's becoming common now because they need servants. But back then it was very uncommon. So I was being used, I was progressing, quote unquote, spiritually in the congregation, but I was racked with guilt. I was buried daily in guilt. From what? Here it comes, folks. <laughs> While dating the sister I ended up marrying and having a wonderful child with, we were less than uh, pure. <laughs> I've gone into detail on past episodes about poor Nia and our belief that it was really only one thing, only to learn it was several dozens of things. Our dating was filled with naughty. We did, we did naughty stuff is the easiest way to say it. We had never come forward. We were married in the kingdom all. <clears throat> Excuse me. We were... <clears throat> <clears throat> Got a tickle in my voice. We were uh, married in the kingdom all. And I was appointed as a ministerial servant, again, at a very, very young age. <clears throat> Apologies for the throat clearing. I wore that sponge around my neck for several years after our marriage. We got married in 87, 1990, It started to wear me out. I knew from my spiritual studies, from going deeper as a servant in the congregation, that I had secret sin. I was packing around secret sin. She thought it was absurd. I did not. I was buried under guilt. So I came forward. I met with some elders as a ministerial servant, and I told them some of the really horrible things we were doing while we were dating before we were married. And this was, quote unquote, some years ago at this point. We're talking high school years, 16, 17. At this point, I'm 23, 24, somewhere in there. This experience was, at the time, absolutely devastating. After going through several meetings with the elders, they were, I, I'm not going to lie, and there's nothing meant here to sound uh, uh, self-serving or arrogant. They were gut-punched. 
that somebody that was showing so much promise had come forward with secret sin. They didn't want to remove me as a ministerial servant. Nonetheless, as the story goes, uh, my wife at the time and another couple in the congregation, another servant and his wife, we went to Disneyland uh, on vacation. While we were gone, the body of elders announced to the congregation from the stage that I was no longer a ministerial servant. Everybody, from what I've heard, everybody gasped. And of course, you know, if you've been a Jehovah's Witness for any amount of time, the scandal is just, an, uh, <laughs> it runs deep in the congregation. Nonetheless, I found out about it. We were in Disneyland. They didn't warn me, so which means they didn't follow procedure as I came to learn later, and you'll see why. We're off on vacation. We return back home from out of state, and I'm whisked into another elders meeting because as I came to learn, and this was the point I learned this, you cannot be removed as a ministerial servant, elder, pioneer, or anything else with a title unless New York, at the time Brooklyn, Bethel, the society, approves of the removal. The body of elders made an announcement. They sent a letter. That was backwards. Should have done it in reverse. They sent a letter to New York. New York, the governing body, by extension, with the Holy Spirit of Jehovah, by extension, writes a letter back to my congregation and my body of elders with guess what? The October 1972 Kingdom Ministry question box. No one on that body of elders, despite men I deeply respected, despite men that were much older than me, had ever heard of the October 1972 Kingdom Ministry question box. Needless to say, there was some mud on their face. Because New York said, do not remove Stacy. Please allow him to continue serving. And it was all based on the October 1972 Kingdom Ministry question box. So you ask how I know of this because it impacted my life. And I mean, before we left on that vacation, before the announcement, I was so downtrodden. I'm not afraid to expose what a goofball I am. I went to the kingdom hall one night with my key and just sat there, just sat there alone, staring at the stage, grieving, being emotional that everything I'd ever loved and worked for, I was now being removed as a servant. It was over. When I returned from this vacation, New York acted fast and they sent back the good old October 1972 kingdom ministry question box. So here's what happened. The body of elders in my congregation went on stage and literally said, ha, 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 just kidding. Stacy isn't removed as a servant. Let's all carry on. <laughs> I'm not kidding. In fairness to those men, because they were my friends, they did love me as a young guy. They were thrilled that they didn't have to remove me, that New York had said, not necessary, here's why. And they had no problem getting up there and saying, we made a mistake. I still think back to that memory, and I don't know how I recovered from that, but I just carried on. And in a very short couple of years, I was appointed as an elder, and I was a very busy, active elder. No one missed a beat with this whole thing. No one. 
But let me tell you, my own personal experience with the October 72 question box changed my life. It changed my life. I didn't know it existed. The elders who had done this didn't know it existed. It came all the way from New York. This little print tidbit that no one was educated on, despite being in life and death positions as a shepherd. I know and knew of elders that were fornicating, that were drunks, that never reported it. Because a few years went by, they didn't need to. Not according to the 1972 question box. And certainly on matters of sex and pornea from the 1980s, there was so much confusion and delusion around that. For those men that might be listening that were elders back then, you probably remember what I mean. So this question box, and again, I read it here, and I encourage everyone to go back and look at it, truly allows any Jehovah's Witness, any Jehovah's Witness, the rope, to keep any kind of secret sin quiet, private, allowing two or three years to go by, <laughs> their words, not mine, without reporting this. There's no reason to confess to the elders. You don't need to. It's literally there in print. You could be committing could have committed serious sins as a baptized Jehovah's Witness and kept it completely private for two, three, ten years. And what's going to eat at you is the guilt they've trained you to trained you to feel the same way they trained me to feel the same way they trained everyone to feel. They must come forward. They must uncover this. They must confess it. That's how I felt. My wife at the time thought I thought it was absurd. It was something that happened when we were teenagers. But nonetheless, there was me playing by the letter of the law as a servant at the time and then an elder. I must go confess. But when that letter came back from New York, the October 1972 question box in the kingdom ministry, my life was altered. I look back now and realize it was an inflection point in my life as a Jehovah's Witness. God knows what would have happened. But I went on continuing to serve as a servant, then as an elder. But I would lay my head on my pillow at night. And as I have oftentimes thrown myself under the bus on this podcast, shared that my mind would go into overdrive. Because while I felt relief because I did everything I was supposed to and still got off the hook, there were millions of Jehovah's Witnesses that did not even know about this and were certainly living with the guilt. And they were going to the elders and confessing their sins. All the while, if this can and is a loophole for servants, for elders, for ministerial servants, for pioneers, for circuit overseers, for district overseers, then it is certainly a loophole for any Jehovah's Witness, any publisher, anyone. Two to three years later, if there's evidence you don't do it anymore and you've changed your ways and you just have a different viewpoint on it, you're good. You're good. Do you understand that? 
October 1972 question box in the Kingdom Ministry. Now, I mentioned that there's going to be plenty of people listening because of the weight of guilt that Jehovah's Witnesses put on their people that are going to be thinking, come on, Stacy, come on, that's old light. That's almost 50 years ago, 1972. Come on, come on, man. That doesn't apply now. That October 1972 question box in that kingdom ministry, good for you, bro. <laughs> you got off and got to be a ministerial servant and then an 11-year elder without any hiccups. Good for you. In fact, hey, maybe Jehovah blessed you because you confessed and did the right thing, even though you didn't need to, according to the governing body. But come on, man, that's old light. It's from almost 50 years ago. Dramatic pause. This still applies. In one of my last elders meetings, the circuit overseer, who was not a nice guy, not a nice man. In fact, I'll tell stories about that in a future episode. In one of his last meetings with the elders, in a letter that I unfortunately no longer have, and I didn't want to put too much time tonight in trying to go find but it was in 2007 during a visit to our congregation that one of the highlight points of the circuit overseer's talk to the body of elders privately in the back school was a review of the 1972 question box in the kingdom ministry. My jaw almost hit the ground. At this point, it had had a major impact on my life in how I viewed confessing of sins to elders. It had changed my life, but I had never, ever heard it mentioned anywhere outside my personal experience and the many people I would share it with over the years as an elder. I'll get to that. But here was the circuit overseer in 2007 during his visit having an entire section in his outline from New York, reminding brothers that if a guy's an elder or a ministerial servant and he comes forward two to three years later and confesses to serious sin in the past, eh, shrug, give him a wink, a hug, a nudge, and forget about it. I want that to sink in because publishers don't get the same leeway, at least not overtly, not in this way. And so in the second part of what I want to present to you, this is not old light. If you're Jehovah's Witnesses listening, you've committed serious sin and you've stumbled on this thinking, I got to go to the elders. Jehovah hates me. I'm endangering the congregation. The Holy Spirit has been withdrawn, just like Achan burying stuff in his tent. Everyone's going to die because of me. I can assure you, everyone knows that's not true. That's guilt. Proof? I have it. In the 2022 Shepherd the Flock of God Secret Elders Book. I present to you Chapter 8, 
subsection 25, entitled Committing a Disfellowshipping Offense Years in the Past and the Matter Was Never Addressed. Quote, The body of elders may determine he can continue to serve if the following is true. The immorality or other serious wrongdoing, it, it, again, it's always got to be sex, right? It, the, immoral, the immorality or other serious wrongdoing occurred more than a few years ago, and he is genuinely repentant, recognizing that he should have come forward immediately when he sinned. Parentheses, perhaps he has even confessed to his sin, seeking help with his guilty conscience. End of parentheses. He has been serving faithfully for many years, has evidence of God's blessing, and has the respect of all the congregation. End quote. You'll note there's no mention in reference. I couldn't believe it. I looked at the 2010 Elders Handbook and the 2022, the brand new one. There's no reference of the Kingdom Ministry of October 1972 question box. But do you recognize the sentence structure? If a brother comes forward, he had done something he should have been disfellowshipped for and never cleaned it up, never confessed to the elders, but he's now an elder and he decides he can't handle the guilt. This is the counsel. I'm going to read it again. Quote, the body of elders may determine he can continue to serve if the following is true. The immorality or other serious wrongdoing occurred more than a few years ago, and he is genuinely repentant, recognizing that he should have come forward immediately when he sinned. Does it sound familiar? It mirrors the October 1972 Kingdom Ministry question box. This is an old light. And while this is vertical or it is with a particular focus on an elder or ministerial servant who's committed serious, serious sins, and they've hidden it for years. I don't think I need to explain that if it's true of the shepherds in the congregation, this most certainly applies to the publishers. So please, if you are a Jehovah's Witness and you are contemplating confessing your sins to the elders, don't. Don't do it. Here's your loophole. If you are sorry and you feel bad about it, there is no, and it is some years in the past, it's time to move on. <laughs> That's not only by far and away close to a biblical teaching, they even know it. The cult of the governing body knows it. So now it's time to share with you two things from the corners of my entirely hyperactive overthinking mind as I often do in this space. I've got a couple of them because this question box and the counsel that they have continued to expound on in the secret elders handbook in dealing with servants who do very serious things for whatever reason, never seems to apply to everyone else. Only the elders and ministerial servants and pioneers, people in positions of authority with titles, get a pass. 
Whereas a publisher gets the messaging that they're guilty, they're endangering the congregation, everyone's going to die just like in Aiken's day because of their secret sin. Jehovah's withdrawn his Holy Spirit. I used to sit there in those moments dealing with things I did while dating someone and everything that would go wrong in the congregation as a ministerial servant at that time, I think it was Jehovah sending me a message. He was some... He was subliminally or very consciously telling me that he was withdrawing his spirit from the congregation because my hands and mouth went places they shouldn't have went while I was dating. And I never told the elders about it. I never confessed the sin. I carried that. But people, this is in print. This is in print. So again, Two things from the deep corners of my overactive, overthinking mind. Number one. So, as I just said, this all applies to current elders. An elder today, and I know elders today that were fornicating, and I'm talking full-on intercourse, back in the day while dating that became servants and never came forward. How do I know that? Because when I gave you the experience I gave you from 1991, I had many elders come to me privately and say, oh my goodness, I did way more than all that. I should have confessed all that. You are so brave, Stacy. That was so amazing. I never confessed anything I did. <laughs> so there's guys serving today that are living under this umbrella. But here's the thing. Remember that apparently... Elders who have a secret sin that they've never confessed to other elders are the same guys we're supposed to believe were chosen by God magic, a.k.a. the Holy Spirit, to be an elder, to be a shepherd. They had secret sins, lots of them, never confessed to the body of elders, but then got appointed an elder, the Holy Spirit, Jehovah, Jesus Christ himself knew about their secret sins because, you know, they appointed the guy. So either this is all absolutely insane, opening up a door for any one of Jehovah's Witnesses to realize that you do not need to confess sins to elders or things have changed a lot since, you know, places like the Garden of Eden where Jehovah knew that Adam and Eve were naked and they'd done, a, they'd done a naughty. Or King David, where Jehovah sent Nathan. He watched and saw the whole thing with Bathsheba and saw murder people. Or I mentioned good old Achan, where Jehovah knew he was burying some gold and some robes in his tent. Or maybe Jehovah is just less observant now or doesn't care. <laughs> or Jesus just didn't get the memo. So... That's the first thing from the corners of my mind on this question box is that if someone was appointed to be an elder with secret sin that they had never confessed, something's really off here in a couple ways, <laughs> either with God, the Holy Spirit, or this doctrine the governing body is absolutely hammering their people with about confessing sins. Here's the second one. And even now, this makes my stomach hurt. It really makes me upset. I often found myself pondering what it was like to be an elder sitting on a judicial committee who had himself 
a library of secret sins he'd never confessed from years ago while he was actively listening to a much braver and obedient publisher confessing the same sins he committed to him and now as an elder begging for his forgiveness with their future in his hands of private reproof, public reproof, or disfellowshipping. What does it say about a man's character that he did the same stuff, never told the elders, now he's an elder, he's got some young person coming forward telling him almost, almost to the detail of the sins they committed that were exactly like his, that he never confessed, and they're in a position now telling him, begging him to forgive them and allow him to stay in the congregation. How do you look in the mirror? And all of this is tied, in my opinion, to the October 1972 Kingdom Ministry question box, where the governing body put to print for Every Jehovah's Witness to read, it is still on JW.org. It is still in the bound volumes or in the library. It's all still there for any Jehovah's Witness to see that if you just give it a couple, two, three years, no matter how awful the sin was, and you just learn to forgive yourself and you learn to move on from it, you don't need to talk to the elders. The elders don't even need to. The elders don't even need to. And they're out there, people. I served with them. Elders who dated and were just as, you know, overcharged with hormones and sexuality as all the rest of us that smoked, that got, my God, we drank ourselves blind in those days, partying behind the scene. That never confessed that. And now they're elders. How does that work? Now you know. Now you know. It goes back to October 72, but there it lives in fine print in the current 2022 Shepherd the Flock of God Elders Handbook. And let me tell you something about the culture of elders. And former elders listening, please let me know your thoughts. Back me up or not on this. They don't want the extra work. They tend to like their good old buddy, Brother Jones over there. So if he comes forward years later and confesses this, and I can't tell you the elders I taught this reference to, how many of them, had their jaws dropped. How many of them, their jaws dropped. If they come forward and confess to him, you know what they do? You know what they do? It never even reaches other elders. It's a quick bear hug and a forget about it. That was a long time ago. Let's go. Not kidding. They may then the very next night after meeting go into the B school and deal with a teenager or a young single sister who's lonely or a guy who's broken down or whatever has happened, who confesses the same sins they committed, and then they may discipline him. Despite the fact that they never tasted that discipline, they never even told anyone. I ask you, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about it? And as I mentioned, I really benefited greatly, obviously, as a Jehovah's Witness from this question box in 72. I've never forgotten it. I don't even need to look it up. I know exactly where it is. It impacted my life so dramatically. 
And I'm not afraid to tell anyone listening, I've had many Jehovah's Witnesses, mostly men, come forward and confess horrible sins to me that were elders and ministerial servants. And you know what I did? I'll give you one guess. I looked at them. I gave them that little half bear hug. And I said, go home. Pull open the index of the Watchtower Library. The Kingdom Ministry of October 1972 question box. Call me after you read it. And I mean to tell you, not one of them ever said another word about it. They'd call and thank me. They tell me they owe me. I, look, give me a break. They don't owe me anything. <laughs> it was stupid. But I can't tell you the amount of people serving right now, at least, well, 10 years ago now, 10 plus years. I actually, no, I know some of them are still serving. They came and confessed this to me that got the old Kingdom Ministry of October 72 reference. So where does that leave a publisher or any Jehovah's Witness that's listening that has sinned, that has seriously sinned, where does this leave you? Here's my public service announcement. Please shut your mouth and tell no one. If you're going to stay among Jehovah's Witnesses and you want to keep your family intact and you want the people to love you to still look at you the same way, shut your mouth and tell no one. Men cannot issue forgiveness. I've given you the Jehovah's Witness rabbit hole version of this kingdom ministry reference. I've given it to you in modern times in the elder's handbook. But I mean to tell you, if you just read the Bible outside of your own literature, you'd see that there is never, ever, ever a reason to go confess your sins to the elders. Never mind the loophole I just shared that you can reason on in your own time. But what about the Bible itself? Men can't issue forgiveness. You don't need to feel guilty keeping your sins to yourself. There is zero instructions in the Bible, zero, none, that tell you to go confess your sins to the body of elders in the modern-day congregation of Jehovah's Witnesses. They weren't doing it in the first century. It was a personal thing. James 5 is about physical illness and healing. Anything past that is about one-on-one -on -one help and comfort from someone who loves you. I did something bad. I feel terrible. Come here. Let's hug it out and talk about it. That's it. Men, including elders of Jehovah's Witnesses, cannot issue forgiveness. Look to the Bible if you're a witness that's listening. If you're still holding the Bible as sacred and you just can't buy what this crazy podcast host just shared with you out of your own literature, please pick up your Bible. Go here. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, quote, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so as to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, end quote. 
Who's the he? Referring to Jesus. You might remember the whole teaching about him dying as a way to forgive mankind of their sins. But you'll note in 1 John 1, 9, there's no mention of elders. There's no mention of a, a shepherding handbook. There's no mention of the October 72 Kingdom Ministry question box. It's a real simple arrangement from the Bible. Forget all the craziness I shared with you. If you're a witness listening, 1 John 1, 9, New Testament. Let's go all the way back to the Old Testament. Here's another. Isaiah 1, verse 18 says, quote, Come now and let us set matters straight between us, says Jehovah. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be made white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson cloth, they will become like wool. End quote. Again, no mention of confessing to elders. No mention of the elder arrangement. No mention of a judicial committee. No mention of private reproof, public reproof, disfellowshipping in either of those biblical references if you're just leaning into the Bible. It's why I consistently say on this podcast that you don't need this podcast. You don't need any of this stuff. Just read your own Bible, your own literature. It's all right there. So I hope that my own little experience is a ministerial servant removed and then not removed. <laughs> and the basis by which they unremoved me, the October 1972 Kingdom Ministry question box. I hope that you've learned something new. I hope that this is a revelation to some folks. I really, really hope in my heart of hearts that if a Jehovah's Witness is listening, their jaw dropped and they're scrambling on their browser to go find this reference because read it with your own eyes. But here's my final message. Here's my final message on this subject. If you're a, a PME or you're a Jehovah's Witness or you're someone studying with them or you're thinking about getting baptized, please never, ever, ever Go to the elders to confess sins of any kind. You now have the loophole. You've got the book you hold sacred. Don't do it. Ever. That's it for this week on Surviving Paradise. I appreciate you listening to this rambling, sometimes incoherent journey through my past and some thoughts that I've, wow, yeah, I really thought I divorced most of this <laughs> in my mind, but there was something that came up in some comments from last week's episode or two weeks ago on disfellowshipping that made me think I've got to, I've got to share that story. So please, I hope you benefited. I want to thank everyone for listening as we continue in this journey. I really, really appreciate the comments to all of you out there. Be safe. And if you're a Jehovah's Witness listening or a PME or someone that's thinking about taking this journey, please take this to heart. Please, please, please do it. And folks, be well. We will see you next week. 